Frank's going to uh, read the Bible for us. Let me pray uh, before he does that. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that we can come together and hear your word and hear it explained to us because you've revealed yourself to us in your Son. We ask now as we do that this Sunday morning, we will uh, hear your word and be transformed by it by your Spirit. Amen. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was still by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and lived. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. But instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realised that power had gone forth out of him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you asked, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. When the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they all laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talithakum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Frank. Um, it's pretty cool. Never worn one of these microphones before, and I feel a bit like Britney Spears. <laughs> but that's not going to leave this room. Mike, I'm looking at you. 
awesome. Yeah. Uh, before I start, how about I pray? Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this time we have together to gather together around your word. We thank you for this passage in the Gospel of Mark. Pray that as we are looking at this, Lord, that you would be teaching us more about your son, Jesus, about who he is, and what our response to him should be. Amen. Just a, a quick question. Put up your hands if you've ever seen something uh, in life could have been on TV, could have been an event that's happening, could have been someone you've seen, just something that's really astonished you. Show of hands, anyone? Of you had pretty boring lives. Dad's got two hands up there, babe. Hey, that's great, good. Yeah, so we've all seen some pretty astonishing things. Um, and for me, uh, one of these astonishing things happened, I think it was about year nine or 10. Uh, on the way to school, I was in the car with mum, she was driving me on the way to school. Uh, and we came up to an intersection. We needed to turn right across a couple of lanes of traffic onto Northeast Road to get into school, but the lights were out at the intersection. So we pulled up and traffic just kept flowing in front of us and we couldn't get through. I'll be honest, I wasn't too bothered about getting to school on time, but I think mum was a bit bothered about getting to work on time. And I could tell because she kept kind of edging the car forward, like looking at the traffic, trying to get their attention uh, so that the cars would stop that were going in front of us. And then something really astonishing happening, uh, happened, something amazing happened. Mum edged forward a little bit more, she wound down her window and stuck her hand out the car, and she just yelled out, stop! <laughs> and all the traffic stopped. <laughs> it was amazing. We just cruised right on through, uh, went past, went on our way to school, and I looked at Mum and I was like, wow. <laughs> That's crazy, it's like some superhuman, superhero traffic person who can... <laughs> stop cars or something. I was astonished. I was astonished at what I'd seen that day. Um, people can do astonishing things, like a little bit of a, a bit of a fun example there, but people can do amazing things. Uh, and we often stop and feel astonished at what we see. And that feeling of astonishment, um, that just feeling of, wow, what just happened? How do I respond to this? That is a feeling that uh, Jairus and his wife in particular feel in this passage at who Jesus is, at what he's done. Uh, but I wonder if that uh, is the response that Jesus uh, is just looking for at the end of that passage, uh, for them to be left thinking, wow, this guy is incredible, for us to be thinking that as well. Or uh, is there some other kind of response that Jesus is calling for? I think there is another response, and I think that it ties in uh, well with the astonishing things that we do see Jesus accomplish in this passage. But before we get into that, I thought it would be uh, good to just look back, think back, and remember what some of the things are that we've learned about Jesus so far. Uh, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, uh, we hear Jesus' first words that he speaks. Uh, this first words that he speaks is of a message that he's come to proclaim and to tell to people. In 1 verse 15, Jesus says, The kingdom of God has come near repent and believe in the good news. We also find out uh, soon after that that Jesus has come uh, with great power. Uh, he has power over impure spirits. Again, in chapter 1, he tells uh, an impure spirit to, to leave a man, and it does. It has to obey him. And he has power to heal as well. Uh, Jesus tells a paralyzed man, a man who can't walk, to get up, take his mat, and go and walk, and he does. And the other thing we've found out about Jesus is that he has come with authority. Mark chapter 1, verse 22, 
uh, says the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had, who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. We also find out that Jesus is someone who has enemies. As much as he's tried to show people who he is, uh, there are those who just want him out of the picture, who totally reject who he is. In Mark chapter 3, verse 6, it says, The Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Jesus uh, has come with amazing power and authority, and people are responding to him in different ways. You've got people who are following him, like the 12 disciples, and then people who are just outright rejecting him, like the Pharisees. I wonder how we respond to Jesus as we come to him. Uh, Like we saw in the all-ages spot just before, Jesus could do some pretty amazing things. Uh, He commands a storm to be still, and it's completely still. That's power over creation. In the short passage between that uh, and what we'll be getting into today, uh, Jesus uh, commands a legion of impure spirits to come out of a man. Just to give you a bit of a picture uh, of, of how amazing that is, uh, a Roman legion, I think it was about five or 6,000 soldiers, uh, and Jesus is commanding a legion of impure spirits to come out of this man. That's incredible power over creation, over the spiritual realm. And now as we step into Mark chapter 5, the second half of that, uh, we see that Jesus also has amazing power to heal without even speaking, and he even does the impossible. He raises a girl from death back to life. This man that we uh, are meeting in this passage, Jesus, um, he commands the kind of power that only God can wield. Um, There's only one person in the Bible who has this kind of power, and that is God himself. So as we come to this passage, we learn something about Jesus that's amazing. Uh, Jesus is God. Jesus is Lord of creation, of sickness, of death, and of chaos. And Jesus, who is Lord, who commands even death itself, is calling for one response from people in this passage. And that's what we're going to get into now. Um, I don't have much experience with boats, but I do have one memory in particular of being in a boat. It was with my, my dad and with my brother and with uh, a friend of mine. Uh, we had like a little, a little dinghy. It was very small. And we, um, yeah, we were out on the water one day and it was pretty choppy. Um, yeah, a bit uncomfortable. And, and my dad and brother were pretty set on kind of getting the boat up onto the plane. So it just go really fast. So it would be like, rather than just going flat, it would be up like that. Um, The downside was that we we were a bit too heavy to make that happen. So Dad and Sam in the back, my friends in the middle, and there's young, happy me in the front. Um, And I wasn't very happy that day because what I experienced, it's much like someone holding a garden hose in front of your face and just kind of turning it on full blast. Um, We weren't on the plane, but, you know, the choppy waves are kind of spilling over the front because we were going pretty fast and just constantly smacking me in the face. I was pretty miserable and cold in that moment. Now you come to the disciples in that boat that we, uh, that we heard of in the kids' talk. Time my misery, my coldness by about a thousand times, and then add in sheer terror, uh, and you're about where the disciples were at that moment. They're in a boat in a storm. There's massive waves crashing around them. They're rocking backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards, 
getting seasick, and they're trying to get water out of the boat. You can just imagine the boat's filling up, they're up to their ankles, and they're thinking, this is it, we're going to drown. We're done for. And then where Je- where's Jesus when this is happening? He's, he's kind of having a nap up on the boat. Um, it's a well-deserved nap, we'll be honest, because the guy has been working quite hard, but the disciples go up to him, why, why are you sleeping? Don't you care what happens to us? Now Jesus wakes up, and the amazing happens, the astonishing happens. He stands up, he looks at the storm around him and says, quiet, be still. Three words, and the storm stops. There's calm. And then he poses that question to the disciples that we heard. He says, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I think for us, if I was in that situation, I I would have been terrified as well. But I think Jesus wants the disciples to understand something that they've been missing. I think it's a response that we can see in the two people that we meet in the last half of Mark chapter 5. Two people who come from completely different walks of life, but who approach Jesus in exactly the same way. The first person was uh, Jairus, the synagogue leader. Someone with a really high social standing, he would have had wealth and he would have had power, Uh, but the way that he approaches Jesus is completely helpless. This guy is out of options, he's terrified for the life of his young daughter. He knows that she's going to die, and his power, his money, nothing can heal her. He comes to Jesus completely helpless, falls on his knees in front of him, and begs him to save the life of his child. In verse 23... He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she will be healed and lived and live. Well, Jesus uh, says okay and begins making his way to the dying girl's house. Let's just think how Jairus would be feeling right now. Uh, Just a bit more relief. Hopeful that uh, his daughter may in fact live when moments ago it just seemed so unlikely. But Jesus stops And he stops because someone who is just as helpless and powerless as Jairus was and his little daughter comes to Jesus. Now this woman, uh, she's been sick for a long time, for 12 years, uh, suffering because of uncontrollable bleeding. She's been to doctors, uh, she's taking the potions, she's tried everything within her power to find healing for her condition. Uh, a condition as well which would have made it impossible for her to interact with normal Jewish society. Because of the nature of her condition, uh, she was considered as unclean. So not only is she suffering daily with pain because of what she's going through, she's going through this alone. So you've got Jairus, the synagogue leader with power, with wealth, high society kind of standing, then you've got this sick woman on the other side who, low society, uh, she has nothing. But they both approach Jesus the same way, completely helpless, completely powerless. In the midst of the sick woman's pain and her sorrows, she hears reports about this man who's been walking around healing people, doing amazing things. She hears that he's close to her. So a spark of hope brings her stumbling through the crowds to seek out Jesus, thinking, if I just touch his robe, I will be healed. She sees Jesus walking in front of her, 
and she walks, she stumbles through the crowd, pushing people out of the way, and it's just an arm length in front of her. She reaches out, and her hands brush Jesus' garment. And it's instant. Verse 29, immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. This woman knows that she's been healed. But Jesus knows exactly what's happened as well. Then he he asks his disciples a pretty confusing question. Uh, He asks, who touched my clothes? And from the disciples' point of view, it does seem like a pretty unusual thing, I think, for Jesus to be asking them. I mean, they look at the crowd of people who are around Jesus trying to get a glimpse of him, trying to speak to him. Um, There's, yeah, this slide here. It's kind of like being in a crowd exiting Adelaide Oval after a footy game. Think like Adelaide, uh, you know, Crows versus Power. Everyone trying to walk out of the building together. They're kind of shoulder to shoulder, just shuffling along. Imagine if you were walking in that crowd and you heard someone yell out, who touched me? You'd kind of look at them and be like, everyone. (laughs) There's so many people there, but Jesus, he knows who's touched him, he knows why. So he calls out, who touched me? And the, and the woman, uh, she's afraid. She falls on her knees in front of Jesus, thinking that uh, she's done something wrong, thinking uh, she stole power from Jesus. But that's not it at all, because Jesus looks at her and he says to her, I think it's the next slide, he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Jesus didn't have to stop her because he knew what had happened. Um, She was okay. She'd been healed. She was on her way. Jesus knew that she'd been healed. But he wanted her to know why. He wanted the people around him to know why this has happened. That it wasn't the robe that Jesus was wearing that had healed her or some strange alignment of stars. Jesus says, daughter, your faith has healed you. But while all this is happening, I wonder what's going through Jairus' mind as he watches what was unfolding. He's walking along, looks back over his shoulder and thinks, Jesus, why are you stopping? My daughter's dying. Why why are we stopped? And then, to make things worse, he gets the news that he's dreaded. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Well, it is done. The girl has died. What's the point in Jesus going to the house anymore? And what's the point in Jairus continuing to bother this man? I mean, death is final, right? Now just think about how Jairus is feeling now, after they were so close. And the thoughts in his head would have been, why did Jesus stop? If he hadn't stopped, maybe we could have made it in time. Maybe my little girl would now be with us. She'd be alive. I've failed. Jesus overhears uh, what the people are saying to Jairus. And he turns to him and he says, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. Imagine someone saying that to a person who's just lost a loved one. Uh, For Jesus to say this, I think he has to be fairly confident that he can actually do something about it. So Jesus walks into the house of the synagogue leader, 
uh, with a few disciples, meets a group of, of people who were there in mourning, mourning and weeping because of the death of Jairus' daughter. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. Uh, you can imagine with anyone else at this point, it's a pretty big hole that they're digging for themselves saying these things. But for Jesus, you know, he knows exactly what to do. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he goes into the girl's room. He brings the mother and father in, a few disciples, and he does the impossible. And it's not like in a movie or like when Snow White like gracefully wakes up and smiles up at Prince Charming because he's given her the kiss of life. It's sudden. No slow comeback to reality. Jesus says to the little girl, get up. And it's like she was just waiting for the command to come. She gets up, she starts walking around. I was out to dinner with some friends the other night and I met a guy who does some magic tricks. Uh, he did this magic trick where he rolled up a piece of napkin and he got me to hold like a menu right in front of him like this. And he'd hold the napkin and he'd throw it and it would just appear in this hand like this. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, but I knew it was just a trick. I knew it was just a trick. But what Jesus has done here is no trick. This is sheer power and authority. I mean, death doesn't even have power over this man. I wonder how would you respond if you were in this situation to what you were seeing? Notice in all these situations, in both these situations rather, the, the, the woman, uh, the sick woman and Jairus have approached Jesus completely helpless, completely powerless. Two people from completely different walks of life approach Jesus the same way. And he responds and delivers them. They have no power over anything that is happening in their lives, but Jesus does. See, what we see from Jesus ultimately in this passage is that he is Lord over all these things that they fear, even over death itself. And he's calling for something from those in this passage and goes to pretty massive lengths to try to get them to understand that he's calling for more than uh, this astonishment as a response to him, uh, more than my amazement at what my magician friend could do or that kind of instant of, you know, pure just astonishment at what I'd seen mum do in the car. He's calling for them to put their faith in him, put their trust in him. He's demonstrated incredible power over creation, over the spiritual realm, sickness over death. These are things that often terrify us when we're confronted by them. But Jesus says, you know, I have control over these things. Have faith. I think this is something that we can struggle to do as Christians, uh, like the sick woman who searched and searched and try to find a solution to her fear. We can also search and search for our own solutions to problems that we face and to our fears. We fear for the future. Uh, we fear uh, sickness. We fear death. Uh, but Jesus here has shown us that he is Lord over things that we fear. I think it makes sense then to, to put our trust in him. Because he calls for those in this passage, and indeed for us to put our trust in him, the one who does have power over all these things. And I know that I've struggled with this numerous times uh, throughout life. You know, when life gets hard, the problem in front of you just kind of grows and grows and grows until it kind of encompasses your whole vision and you just can't, you can't see where the light is. Uh, a few years ago, I was 
in a pretty good situation, I felt, in life. Um, I was going to be a history teacher coming out of uni, and I was moving um, pretty rapidly towards that happening. Um, and I was in a relationship that I was pretty sure was moving towards marriage, and I'd taken steps towards that direction. Um, but then, kind of suddenly, uh, two things happened. Uh, one was I started losing motivation at uni uh, for this teaching degree, kind of questioning what am, what am I actually doing with my life and in the future. Uh, and then that relationship also kind of ended uh, pretty unexpectedly, for me at least. Uh, and I found myself in that time uh, feeling pretty alone. Um, yeah, and I didn't, didn't really have a clue what I was going to be doing with my life in the future. Uh, so I felt stuck. I felt alone and stuck. Uh, but then God, in his grace, pointed me towards something uh, in the future, something that I could see that was infinitely better than just uh, having like a, an instant solution to what I was going through. Because he pointed me towards Jesus' final victory and his final show of power that was shown at the cross where he died for my sin, for my rejection of God, and where he didn't stay dead. But defeated death for the final time. When we look at Jesus, we meet someone who has total and absolute control over anything this world can throw at us. And what brought me the greatest comfort uh, and the greatest peace of all was knowing that I could put my trust in someone who has power over all, over the things I feared. Even though... Uh, it wasn't an instant solution. There, there was still pain. There still is a degree of pain. Uh, you know, I can look forward to a time uh, with him where there will be just no more of that. Remember back to the first words that Jesus says in Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Uh, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And in Mark chapter 5, we get a glimpse into this kingdom where there's no more suffering, where there's no more pain. There's restoration and there's life. And Jesus' response, what he calls from us today and every day is to have faith in him. And when life is getting hard, uh, I wonder what, what do you turn to? When we're in stressful times during life, uh, where do you find peace and comfort from that? Do you turn to other things to distract you from the troubles that you're facing? Um, things that can often do more harm than good in your life. And there might be some of you here today who uh, you don't quite call yourself a Christian yet. You might just be investigating Christianity. And the two questions that we've been looking at in this series have been, uh, who is Jesus and is he worth following? Uh, Jesus has demonstrated here that he's not someone who just came with party tricks to show people. He didn't just come to impress people. But he came with power. He came with power over death itself. If he really is Lord, he has authority over all, over creation. Um, if that is true, then he is worth following. Because as I said, as we will read later on in Mark, he defeats death for a final time and he does that for us. And he takes our place on that cross so that we don't have to. And notice in what we've just read, Jesus does these amazing things but he doesn't charge a single cent. There's no fee. He's not looking to make, to make money off these people, off the sick woman, off Jairus, or off of us. 
doesn't want to become some kind of harsh overlord over people, get them to pay him back for what he's done. He says, believe. Wants us to put our trust in him, the Lord of all. Now, Jesus' call to faith in this passage, uh, it's not a brand new call, uh, as we could see in Mark chapter 1. He's been calling people to faith. That's what he's been preaching. But we can see uh, the faith in him actually offers more uh, than even having stopped that storm, having been uh, healed from sickness as the woman was, or even that little girl being raised uh, from the dead. He offers more than uh, an instant solution that will uh, again fade, though in his grace uh, he, may, he may do that. Because these things do fade away. Storms start up again. Uh, sickness does come back again. And that little 12-year-old girl, uh, she's definitely, she's not walking around today. Uh, she died. But for those who put their trust in Jesus, who is Lord of all, we can look forward to a time where none of that can touch us. We can trust in the one who has control and power over all things. We can be part of his kingdom with our Lord, with our Savior, Jesus. And the astonishment that I felt at, uh, at mum's free control uh, in that instant, uh, the astonishment that we feel at different things that we see in this world, they all pale in comparison to the constant astonishment and amazement that we feel as we come to Jesus and see what he's done for us. This Lord of chaos that we see in Mark chapter five, he's shown that chaos, that sickness, that death have absolutely no power over him and over those who put their faith in him because that's what he's calling for us to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are astonished at what you've given to us through your son, Jesus. We ask that you would help us in times of trouble in our lives, when we fear for the future, when we're confronted with death and sickness, times of unrest to put our trust in you. Thank you for your enormous love for us, that we can know you and can turn to you in times of trouble. Please help us to come to you, recognizing that you are Lord of all and to turn to you with renewed faith in who you are. Amen.